The scripture reading this morning is from Mark 4, 26-32. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Risen. It's good to be with all of you again today. And if this is your first time visiting us, I want to welcome you to our church. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I'm Pastor Rich, and hopefully one of these days I can meet you either virtually or even outside one of our social distancing events or walks. But I'm so excited that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, Today, though, we're taking a short break from our series through the book of Genesis. You know, in light of election week, I've been getting a lot of text messages, some frantic, some lighthearted, and everyone is processing this differently and just is in a different place in their civic journey. But one text was so transparent and so raw that it just struck me so profoundly. And I want to read it for you today. I asked this person if I could read it and here's what my friend wrote. I feel my soul dying with how much ill feelings I have for X and their supporters. I realize that I put too much hope and faith in the election. I realize no matter the outcome, we have to bring the gospel to everyone for healing. No matter the outcome, we have to bring the gospel to everyone for healing. Friends, I know that this election is so important and impacts everyone and others more so, especially with the racial turmoil, the pandemic handlings, and a very, very controversial candidate. I know that we're all looking for leadership and wisdom, justice and peace and unity and reconciliation in our country. And by the time you hear this, the results may or may not be out. But as a church and as a Christian, no matter the outcome, more than ever, we must realize that only the gospel can bring healing to everyone. From Abraham and Jacob under the rulers of their day to Jesus under Rome, and for us today, the promise and blessing of life with God, the hope of his ultimate victory over sin and death, 
the message of his love and grace and reconciliation. This light must shine ever so brightly, especially in the darkest of nights. So this is what we're going to take a look at today. We're going to take a look at the kingdom of God because this is what Christianity is all about. To be a Christian means to be brought into and live in the kingdom. It's why Jesus created the church and why even now in the midst of a crazy pandemic, uh, political tension, national unrest, racial turmoil, God is still building his church. This is the space where the kingdom of God, when faithfully witnessed, God's spiritual life and his power and growth is experienced, it's fanned into flame, and it's multiplied. Now, verse 30 in our passage, it's fascinating because Jesus says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? And more literally in the Greek, what Jesus is saying is, what likenesses shall we use to get across the kingdom of God? Likeness, similarity, comparison. You know, when I was in college, I used to tutor on the side, and one of my kids that I was tutoring, he hated math. And one time he said, I can't wait to be an adult because I won't have to do math anymore. And I kind of just wasn't even paying attention, but I looked at him and I just said, what are you talking about? Of course you're going to have to do math as an adult. And he looked at me utterly confused. He could not understand what I was saying and why as an adult he would be doing math. How is that possible? And so how do you explain adulthood to a 12 year old? You really can't directly. You have to bridge the gap. So you have to use st stories and analogies, illustrations, likenesses. And in the same way to help us understand the kingdom of God, Jesus uses stories. He uses metaphors. That's what a parable is. It's, it's a metaphorical illustration. Jesus uses likenesses to explain to us the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And today we're just going to take a look at one of his metaphors in Mark chapter 4. In this passage, we're going to see three things. So we're going to take a look at first the seed, and then two, the growth of the seed, and then three, the shade of the tree. Those are our three points. So first the seed. You know, at the beginning of our passage in verse 26, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed onto the ground. And earlier in this chapter, in verse 14, Jesus mentions how that seed is the word of God. So what this means is if you want to live in the kingdom of God, if you want to grow in the kingdom, if you want to be part of its spiritual dynamic and its life force and strength, you have to embrace the seed. You have to know the word of God. And this is what makes the kingdom of God distinct. 
It's allegiance to a higher authority. This means that as a Christian and as a church, as scripture commands us, we do seek the welfare of our community. We serve. We stand for justice. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. But friends, that is not all the word of God says. God says the goal isn't annihilation, it's reconciliation. And I know that this is hard for some of us to hear. Because when we experience sin and offense from someone, or when political parties and their supporters experience sin and offense from each other, especially when sometimes this is just irreversible and tragic, the last thing that is on the table is forgiveness. Instead, there's anger, there's deep, deep pain, there's loss, and there's judgment. And this is never to minimize the oppression that people face or the injustice that is being committed or the faithful striving that is necessary for a more equitable and just society. We must be committed to justice. Jesus was and is committed to justice. But friends, when you accept Jesus as your king, it does change things a little bit. Because with Jesus, you and I, we get in by forgiveness, not by our works, not by our righteousness, but because Jesus has washed away our sins. We don't get the anger, the eye for an eye, the judgment of God. Instead, we get his friendship. We get his grace. We get forgiveness. And so in our hearts, just as we place our faith in the forgiveness of Christ for us, we place our faith in the forgiveness of Christ for others. It can't be one without the other. It's connected. And we pray and we believe that God is the only one who can soften and turn hearts to him just like he has softened and turned rebels like you and me to him. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no consequences, that we strive for justice when when injustice is committed. But we must realize this. Judgment can only punish. That's what judgment is. It's a punishment. It has no ability to change people's hearts. Because change, friends, it always begins at the heart level. 
And this kind of heart change only comes through the spiritual power of God's gracious, forgiving, reconciling, redeeming, and resurrecting love by word and deed. Friends, this is the way of Christ. This is the way of the cross. This is what it means when Jesus tells us that we've got to take up and carry our cross after him. And risen, this is the role of the church. Only the church is proclaiming this good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of Christ. You're not going to hear it on any other news network through any other YouTube entertainment channel. Um, it's only the church that has been commissioned that must steward the precious good news of Jesus. We're, we're mediators that stand between God's love and grace and the brokenness of humanity. As we've seen in the story of Abraham and Jacob, this is the essence of God's call, his grace for sinners, for us and through us. But we can't do this unless you and I and this church, our church, is firmly planted in the kingdom of God, in the organic power of the seed of God's word, which became flesh in Jesus. In other words, we can't do this unless we know that Jesus is our king. And in scripture, to know someone is more than just intellectual knowledge. To know someone means that, or doesn't mean that you just know things about them. It means that you're intimately tied to them. You're brought into a relationship with them and into the center of their heart, you're one with them. So knowing Jesus as your king is a binding to him. It, it's a moving into the center of his being. It's a moving of him into the center of your being. Our heart and our hopes are bound up with Jesus's heart and hope for the entire world. This brings us to our second point, the growth of the seed. In verse 27 and 28, it says that after the farmer lays the seed into the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now what these verses are teaching us is that the kingdom of God, this spiritual kingdom, uh, the life transformation that comes from the power of the seed, spiritual fruit, like faith and faithfulness and patience and grace and reconciliation and forgiveness, whether it's in our families or in the church or in this world, these things ultimately occur out of our control. That's what this illustration is communicating. The farmer knows that he can't force anything. If he tries, he's going to screw it up. So he does what he's called to do. He does what he's control of. And then he leaves the rest up to the natural process of the world. For example, in the 80s, to increase the supply of tomatoes, 
typically store-bought tomatoes, were harvested prematurely when they were green. Then they were put in ethylene gas chambers to redden them unnaturally. After this, the tomatoes were chilled so that they could withstand the days and weeks in transit. And all of this led to a tomato with a significant lack of flavor and with a significant lack of nutrition. So laws were made to regulate the growth and harvesting and transportation of tomatoes. So if you ate an inorganic tomato that you bought from you know, a big market store and you ate an organic tomato side by side, you would notice the drastic difference in flavor. And this is the illustration that Jesus is using to communicate the kingdom of God to us. It's this principle of control. And this principle of control doesn't just apply to organic food, but everything. Because the kingdom of God intersects everything in our lives. Whether it's relationships, uh, even relational tension in our family, professional growth or work and uh, frustrations and anxieties, a pandemic, politics, to rage and seek utter control over things that are outside of our control is impossible, is unnatural, is unwise, is unhealthy. Like the genetically modified tomato, the cost is disintegration. Now, this doesn't mean we don't strive for the goodness and love and truth and justice of God's kingdom in all aspects of intersection in our lives, right? This doesn't mean that we don't strive to make wise decisions in our lives and in our relationships. It doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we seek the extra aid of counseling at times or even work overtime at our work. It doesn't mean that we don't work for change and justice in our world or vote or volunteer and serve with our time and resources. It doesn't mean that we don't do any of that. But it's a paradox. If there isn't this sense that God is in control, that he holds the keys to everything, our relationships, our security, our spiritual life and growth, the battle between good and evil, then you and I, friends, we're going to be driven by fear, by control, by anger, by force, or despair and hopelessness and cynicism. But our passage is telling us that, look, even though we are not in control, there is someone who is. There's a pecking order. We're the farmers and we do what we are called to do. But only God is the force and power of the sun and rain in its full life-giving and life-renewing strength. 
Even God has a plan to deal with the sin that hijacks our life. Because God is a God of retention. You and I, we're trying to prevent everything. And then when things fail, we don't know what to do. But God, he's ahead of that. Even our failures, even the brokenness in this world does not surprise him. God is a God of redemption. Even evil is not greater than the power of his grace and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. So let's take a look, a more focused look at this in our last point. The shade of the tree. Friends, let's read verses 31 and 32 together. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You know, this tree metaphor throughout scripture is a very common image that God would give to his prophets. In Ezekiel chapter 17, God gives us a clear glimpse of what trees represent. God tells the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 17, I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. That last line is the tip. And all the other trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. You see, friends, trees in the Bible, they're metaphors for kingdoms. And what God is saying in Ezekiel 17, and our passage today is that all these other kingdoms in the world, they're broken. They're a part of our lives. We do live in them, but they're broken. So we can value these things, but they cannot be our ultimate king. They cannot ultimately rule us because they cannot ultimately lead us like Jesus can. We'll be sitting under uh, the kingdom of of this tree or that tree, waiting for it to bring us hope and joy and life, but we will still be vexed. We will still experience tremendous brokenness. We'll struggle with disillusionment. We'll be overwhelmed and afraid, and we'll be longing for something better, something greater, something more lasting. So Jesus comes into the world and he says, my people are caught. They're trapped. They're stuck inside the walls 
of these other kingdoms, I will free them. So Jesus comes into the world and like a seed planted into the earth, Jesus dies for our sins and is buried into the ground. And the spiritual life that comes out of that seed is his forgiveness. It's his grace. It's his love. It's his faithfulness and resurrecting hope. And friends, for those who plant their trust in that seed, in Jesus, the word of God who became flesh, you're going to find the organic power for the forgiveness of your sins. A spiritual power that washes away all your failings and all your brokenness. You're going to experience his powerful resurrecting hope for you, for your family, for those around you, for the world. you're going to find the shade of Jesus' tree. But this is only grasped by faith in him, by belief in him, by trust in him, by commitment to him, through obedience to him. But when you do that, you're gonna find that the kingship and the integrity and the loyalty you have in Jesus is more foundational, more unshakable, more just, more hopeful, more uniting, more loving and transforming than anyone here on earth. And you will find when you rest in the shade of Jesus's kingdom, that his love and his comfort and his plan and presence and loss and pain on the mountaintop or in the valley low and everything, nothing compares. Friends, this is the protection and the rest and the peace and the shade of the kingdom of Christ. Risen if the church and the kingdom of God is like a tree that gives spiritual life, spiritual rest, and spiritual protection to people, then this means that Jesus is the answer to all our questions. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Church, if I were to tell you that only about 5% of the population consider themselves Bible-believing and church-attending Christians, you might think that I'm talking about a foreign mission field. But I'm not. I'm talking about our backyard. I'm talking about our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. According to a 2015 study, CBS reported that the San Francisco, Alameda County, and San Jose areas are the least churched areas in the nation. So on the one hand, by the grace of God, the shade of Jesus' kingdom is a reality for you and me today. But for many others, it isn't. Not yet, at least. Because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. So friends, yes, we do pray. We do seek the welfare of our communities. We do work for justice. We do serve and volunteer. We do wisely and informally vote our conscience. We let the word of God inform us. We have thoughtful and humble discussions. We have conviction. But we've got to also be open to correction and improvement because none of us have made it to the mountaintop of wisdom. And we've always, always have got to remember, we've always got to get back to this truth, that if you are a Christian, you have access to living water. You have access to the one true, righteous, and just, and perfect, and holy, and loving, and eternal King. You have access to the spiritual, resurrecting power of grace, that can heal this broken world. Only Jesus can change people's hearts. This is the ultimate call of God. And so Father, more than ever, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think for the entire country, the, the past four years have been a season of a lot of conflict, a lot of division, a lot of unrest. And for many of us, or for some of us, or we may think that this may be squashed if our candidate wins. But I don't believe to be so. I do believe that the brokenness that we're experiencing now is something that everyone experiences. And it's nothing that can be solved without you. And so I ask, Father, that 
you would remind us as a church, you would remind us as Christ followers, as Christians who are in the kingdom of Christ, that while we do live in this world and live among those who may not agree with us, or maybe we do live along those with, who do agree with us. But at the end of the day, we are called to put our ultimate hope and trust in you, our ultimate allegiance to you, and to understand that our ultimate call is to share this beautiful message of grace, of forgiveness, of humility, this message of reconciling hope and spiritual power to transform the hearts of people. We ask that you would do this first and foremost in us. And we pray, not because we're worthy, but because you promised it and you said it, that you would also do it through us. By your grace, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.